Five key things you need to know about programmatic SEO with Anna Oos. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What do you need to do to get your programmatic SEO right? That's what we're discussing today with an in-house SEO lead. Passionate about programmatic SEO, content, and driving growth at scale. She started her SEO journey at Wix and currently works in AI video generation at Synthesia. A warm welcome to the Insert SEO podcast, Anna Ouse. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Hey, Anna. Thanks so much for joining. Well, you can find Anna over at AnnaOuse.com. So, Anna, today you're sharing five key things you need to know about programmatic SEO. But first of all, how would you define programmatic SEO? Well, programmatic SEO is an emerging concept. Uh, I feel that a few years ago when I just started doing it, there was not even a word of such as programmatic SEO. We just had an idea. Now there is a more definite description that says that programmatic SEO is uh, all about creating landing pages at scale to drive traffic from the long tail keywords. That's how I would define it. No, that's good. That's good. Very definitive. Um, I don't have any follow-up questions on that. I think that was fairly understandable for most people listening, hopefully. So today, of course, you're sharing five key things you need to know about programmatic SEO. Starting off with number one, structure your programmatic asset in a way that makes perfect sense for the user and for Googlebot. So, I mean, first of all, what's a programmatic asset? Oh, that's... Uh the programmatic asset that you are about to create. So let's say you want to focus on integrations and there are millions of integrations and there can be different combinations of integrations. So what I mean by structure is you need to think about how do you map it out in a logical sequence that it is easily crawlable, easily navigatable, and uh, easy to consume by the user. So for example, the logic is that there is the end page that ranks for a long tail keyword, and it is integration X plus integration Y. User ends up there, and then how do you structure it in a way that they can navigate back? They can see all other types of integration of that integration X plus something else. Uh, are there similar use cases that you can link to from the page? So mapping out that structure of how everything is connected, what is the first level, second level, third level, and what is the path you want the, the user to take, that, that's the structure. And I think this is crucial because a lot of people have an idea. They jump into creating that endpoint landing page, but then they didn't think through of how does it tie to their website structure and how can a user navigate to that page, end page, from the homepage, let's say. Understood. So I would imagine that breadcrumbs has a lot to do with that. Yes, but breadcrumbs is the end result. If you didn't think through what would be the intermediate pages, is there a directory, are there categories, and you didn't implement it in the URL structure, you didn't embed it, then you can't use the breadcrumbs. So the breadcrumbs is the final, the cherry on top of the pie. Let's put it that way. Understood, understood. So it's, um, yeah, unless you get your your category structure right, then your breadcrumbs are going to be useless. Exactly. And you would think that this is obvious, 
But uh, in the recent uh, project that I started, there was the main competitor, and their URL structure was not optimal. So when I started uh, reviewing the project I'm working on, the first thing I said was that that competitor is doing really well in some sense. But if you change the URL structure and don't take that as, a, as an example from them, you will have much better results. So we easily tweaked it. Unfortunately, uh, it was, uh, we still had time to do that because the pages didn't go live. But if you didn't think it through and you would go live with that, it's really hard to revert because you would face like thousands of redirects, which no one wants to deal with, right? Absolutely. No one wants to deal with, but, um, it's sometimes this sticking plaster, isn't it, on things, just the easy fix, then everyone forgets about it until the SEO that comes along and wants to actually get things running more efficiently. Yeah, there are so many issues that are tied to redirects because many times redirects are implemented, but then the in-links are not fixed or that technical SEO due diligence is not uh, performed and you're left out with a lot of math. So the redirects are there. You think it's all good. But then if you actually crawl the website, you'll see that Google is being uh, confused on multiple stages of crawling your website when the redirects are not smooth or implemented correctly. So I would say that's why I'm saying that structure is so important and I'm putting it first because getting your structure sorted is the first brick of the basement, you know, like of building the success of the project. Okay, I'm tempted to stick with this particular topic, but let's move on to number two, which is content production strategy. Yeah, so this is a very interesting one because there are so many ways you can approach programmatic SEO. And there is, I wouldn't say there is right and wrong. Like there is clearly wrong when you're putting bad content that is not useful for the user, etc. But in my recent experience, you can even go with simple pages. You know, if previously in, in the biggest project I worked on, which was Sneak Advisor, it is a very rich page that has multiple databases plugged into it, which makes tons of sense. It's very high quality content. In the more recent project, we're creating a simpler pages that mostly rely on the modifiers. But for the user, it is still a very useful page. Right, because if if the company has multiple combination of integrations, plugins, etc., it's really hard for the user to find the exact combination they want just through navigating through the homepage. And usually, people search for a specific combination of integrations they are searching for. Like if you want to plug in your Google Sheets to your Notion, you will search for that. You're not going to go to the website and manually try to navigate your way to that specific combination of integrations. So by creating that landing page, we're actually facilitating and improving user experience. And that page doesn't really require that much of unique content. You can definitely plug in uh, some articles in there, some use cases in there, some useful links of how to get started with that specific combination of integration. But the landing page itself is quite simple. So two ways of, again, two ways of looking at the content. You can have multiple databases plugged in and provide very rich content that provides you with new information, new insights. And at the same time, you can have 
a simple landing page that also fulfills the user needs. There are implications and consequences of having uh, simple pages because you might face thin content, you might face duplication issues, but the, you can still work with that. So this is actually something that I find very interesting, that this shouldn't be a blocker. If you think that you can't do programmatic because you can't create uh, human-generated, human-written content, high-quality content for 2,000 pages, this shouldn't be a stopping you from trying that strategy. There are still workarounds. You can add FAQs, you can add modifiers. So that is all still working, still useful, and still a good strategy to try out. I'm shocked that I didn't hear the two letters AI when you were discussing content. Why is that? So I'm very careful about that. One thing that we are going to try is to use ChatGPT for generating unique unique content for the FAQs, but I would never recommend, boldly recommend anyone just to copy-paste that content to your landing page, even if you are using technologies to fast-forward that process. I would still advise to review it, rewrite it, edit it, and make sure that it is factually correct, makes sense, and represents your brand correctly. What do you think about it? Well, I think it's a, a rapidly changing area. I think it's um, an area that you have to experiment with, but there's certainly no black and white answer for that at the moment. Where we'll be in three to five years' time is anyone's guess. But at the moment, I think that SEOs looking after larger enterprise websites have to find a way of testing the use of AI uh, without it potentially negatively impacting their high-traffic pages. Agreed. So one thing that could be tried here and something I want to experiment with as well is imagine you have a lot of pages. You can split them into test uh, groups. One page can have very generic. Like, let's say we're testing the FAQ section with uh, question answer format uh, content. One page can have the same exact answer as the other 20 pages, let's say, let's say that's the bucket. Then the next one would have, the next bucket would have modifiers in there. And then the third one would have AI-generated content in there. And it would be interesting to see if that makes a difference on how the pages are performing. And also when you're launching something new, there is less of a risk to fail, right? If, if you're working with an enterprise website and you suddenly change the whole strategy 180 degrees, that's a huge risk. If you're launching something new, I think it's a really good playground to test out those theories and tools. And what about metadata? Can you use AI to generate content and metadata? Because your point number three is make sure you use metadata, SEO metadata, and make sure that it's unique. Yes. So by that, I mean that shouldn't be overlooked. Because if you're dealing with programmatic uh, SEO pages, H1, H2, H, uh, the titles uh, are the main assets you are working with. And that's actually what I mean there. Make sure you include modifiers. You're not just saying best integration. And then that's, that's what every page does. You need to include the integration name. You need to make sure that your titles make sense, that the, the structure of the page makes sense. I've seen cases where there was inaccurate 
on-page markup, and that can be a crucial factor for programmatic SEO failure. But answering your question, I guess in this specific case, I would work more with figuring out the pattern. So what should be the pattern for H1? What should be the pattern for H2, et cetera, et cetera? And you don't really need AI generation for that. So by pattern, do you mean that you could get away with um, using best in the H1, using top (laughs) or some other modifier instead on H2s or H3s? Or has there got to be some kind of rotation? Is 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 it a bad idea to use the same modifier at the same stage in each page? So by modifier, I mean the specific thing this landing page is about. If it is an integration, it is an integration name. If it is an open source package, it is an open source package page. If it is something else, then it is something else. So it would be, by pattern, I mean, there is a phrase and you insert a modifier in that phrase that is specific to that landing page, which is unique to that landing page. And to define that pattern, you obviously analyze the search results. You see what actually works what what are those landing pages about? If those landing pages say build your something, then you would probably use that similar kind of intent sentence there. If um, the pages say five ways to do X, you would probably phrase it around that intent. So analyzing the SERP and defining what should be your titles and then embedding the modifier in there. And point number four, utilize structured data, FAQ schema, and that word again, breadcrumbs. Yes. So uh, I feel that uh, schema is a very powerful SEO asset that a lot of people implement. Some people underestimate. Uh, There are so many types of schema. FAQ definitely works really well for programmatic SEO because you can implement it at scale. Then the breadcrumbs is very useful for navigation and indexing and explaining the structure of your assets. Other schema that I recently tried was same as, and uh, I don't have the results of that yet. I was just super excited about that type of schema because there was a great talk on uh, Brighton SEO in April on that. And it would be so interesting to see if that actually delivers results. But in general, I'm super excited about schema because you can implement it site-wide or like asset-wide uh, on the similar types of pages and you can just scale. So everything at scale is really powerful, right? Absolutely. As long as if you're monitoring and that's point number five. Correct. So as you said, point number five is monitoring. And there are a few ways to monitor your efforts. The small sites can use Screaming Frog. Bigger sites, and by bigger sites, I mean if you have hundreds, thousands of pages, then probably you will need um, some more sophisticated software. Uh, in my previous company, we used Lumar, former Deep Scroll, and that was really helpful to see the insights for a large website and to spot those issues. One of the things we saw there is that our asset is actually not being called fully. Uh, I knew from the internal resources that we had 2 million URLs 
but the crawler could only reach 500,000 URLs. So from that intel, we then pinpointed the problem, improved the internal linking, and reached like literally double the organic traffic just through improving the crawlability of the asset. And that is something you can do with a software like that. With for a smaller website of hundreds or few thousands of pages, you can use Screaming Frog for that same reason to analyze that. And Google Search Console? Yes, exactly. Spot on. Uh, Google Search Console is also very powerful because, you know, tools given by Google, uh, why won't we use them? And there I have a tip. So if you have a large website, add additional properties of subsections. So, for example, your domain name slash blog as a separate property, your domain name slash docs as a separate property. Uh, as simple as it sounds, it gives you really, really valuable insights into how that specific uh, section of the website is performing. And you can also see the indexing of that specific section and the errors on that specific section. Because if you have a large website and you have just one property for your domain, you, it will be really hard to spot the issues and where they happen. Well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Right. So I already mentioned it. Uh, I'm actually, I would answer structured data and schema markup. And there are so many types of that structured data that you can implement. And it brings really good results. So it's very easy. It is very scalable. And you can see immediate results in the SERP. Super. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Anna Oos over at AnnaOos.com. Anna, thanks so much for being on the Insert SEO podcast. Thank you, David, so much for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.